Hey everybody, I'm Beth Davis. Welcome to Teachable Tuesday. I'm excited to be coming toward the end of our Gospel of John Bible study today, chapter 19. We're going to read, we're going to pray, we're going to receive from the Lord, okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Mm, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're here, that you're always here with us. We ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, a fresh wind that we would read and hear and receive this, your word, with uh, new ears, Lord, that you would blow away any familiarity with this gospel and that it would be as if we're hearing it today for the first time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for fresh consolation, fresh healing, fresh encouragement, fresh conviction. We love you, Lord. John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him crucify him. Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. Then they handed him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him 
and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture said. They divided my clothes among them themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And this is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After seeing these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission so that he came and removed the body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus. 
and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Amen. <clears throat> in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have many takeaways to share with you today, but they can all be summed up in one takeaway. So I can't wait to share that with you in just a moment. But if you're reading and praying along, if you've been entering into God's word with us, discovering his heart, being changed by his word, I wanna hear your takeaways. Leave them in the comments below. Friends, thank you for journeying with me through the Gospel of John. You know, this week as I was praying with John 19, I was reminded of a very beautiful painting. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I went um, to the National Gallery in Dublin, Ireland. And as soon as I walked out of the elevator, I was first faced with a painting of Caravaggio uh, called The Taking of Christ. Seems very apt to revisit that painting again today. And if you've never seen it, Google it, take a look at it. I was so overwhelmed at the sight of it. There's chaos in the scene. There's a lot of movement, a lot of motion, a lot of emotion. And I was overwhelmed trying to take it all in. But I found myself as I stood and studied the painting, as I allowed myself to be moved by this beautiful work of art, that as I came closer, as I looked more closely at the details of the painting, my heart really unfolded and opened. I was able to take it in more deeply and to appreciate it more fully. In particular, I was drawn to this detail. Caravaggio is known for uh, his use of light and dark in his paintings. And this one is no different. I was particularly drawn to the hands of Jesus, which are much brighter than the rest of the painting. His hands are simply folded before him. Now he's bound, right? He's in chains, but his hands were folded in, in such a surrendered way, peaceful way. They're not gripping, they're not holding on, they're not grasping. I was so moved by this surrendered posture of Jesus as he allowed himself, as he submitted himself to the cross, to being taken by the soldiers, to being betrayed by a friend. I was so moved by that detail that even a month later, I'm still pondering the posture of Jesus in this horrific moment of, of betrayal, one that I would feel quite a lot of fear in the midst of. And I think there's a, a lesson there I've been gleaning for the rest of my life, and it's that the beauty is in the details. God's work, God's hand, God's voice, so often is in the details, especially the details of our lives, the details of our stories. But I'm concerned that some of us are so busy, we're moving so fast that we miss the details. We miss God's voice. We miss his hand. We miss those intricate, those intentional, those thoughtful and careful details that God is orchestrating for our good on our behalf. Maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. I, 
I hate when I hear the words coming out of my mouth. Yeah, good, I'm busy, you know. Some of us are moving so fast, we're so busy that we're missing what God is up to and for good reason. Maybe you're a student and you're taking a full class load and working. Maybe you're a mom of littles, one little or many littles. It's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of busyness, a lot to do. Maybe you're caring for your aging parents. Maybe it's some combination of these or many more circumstances, but I think we can say, I can say confidently, that there is an epidemic of busyness. We live in a very fast-paced culture. We're all moving so fast. We're all so busy. And I find myself falling into the temptation to just try and get through the day. Have you heard yourself say this? Like, if I can just get through this week, if I can just get through this month, if we can just get to the end of the school year, then things will settle down. But friend, God is with you. God is in the details. If you want to find him, look at the details. You know, I can read John chapter 19, really any account of the passion with kind of the same lens. I'm just trying to get through it. I'm bracing myself. It's too painful to really think about or linger in. And I'm, I'm tempted to just push through to the resurrection. And I think we do that in our own lives. I think we're hoping that we can get through the passions of our lives, the sufferings, the sorrows of our lives. If we could just get through this hard season, then we would get to the resurrection. But our whole lives are a Paschal mystery. Not one time, but again and again and again. We, we're united in Christ and baptism. We've been baptized into his life. And so you and I, we're going to live with Christ the many Paschal mysteries of our lives. And, and so often the joys and the sorrows, they come together. It's not like we have a sorrowful season, full stop, and then the joy comes, right? So often they're mingled together. The sorrows are easy to see. They overwhelm us, but the joy, the joy today, I would, I would submit to you, I would suggest to you, the joy is in the details. Now I mentioned that I have many takeaways and hang on, you'll, you'll hear, but I think they can all be summed up in verse 36. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Every detail, every moment of John chapter 19, of the life of Jesus, every word of the gospel was fulfilled in Christ. It was all so that it could be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let me make you aware of a couple of these details that suggest the fulfillment of God's word, the fulfillment of God's plan. Verse 14, now it was the day of preparation and it was about noon. Well, the day of preparation was the day before the Passover. And at noon, on the day of preparation, the day before the Passover, the high priest in the temple was sacrificing the Paschal lambs. He was making a sacrifice at that hour on that day, offering this lamb to God as a sacrifice. Jesus stood at Gabbatha. He stood there on the judgment and he was made the Paschal lamb. Verse 19, when Jesus was crucified, his arms stretched out on either side of him 
was a, a thief, a good thief and a bad thief. He stood between two people with arms outstretched. That's a detail that I don't want you to miss. That detail is meant to call to mind Moses standing with arms outstretched, praying and, and holding back the enemy, bringing in the victory of God as Aaron and her held his arms aloft. Jesus from the cross is holding the enemy at bay. He is entering into a battle and he's holding back the whole kingdom of darkness. He stands in the gap, arms outstretched on the cross, being held up on either side, bringing about our victory. Verse 23, it says that uh, Jesus' garments were, were split up, but there's one piece, a seamless tunic that they did not tear, that they did not divide. Did you know that the high priest wore a seamless tunic? And according to the law, that seamless tunic could not be torn. That's because not only was Jesus the Paschal lamb, the sacrifice, the, the perfect and unblemished lamb offered up to God, he was also the high priest. So he was both the sacrifice and the priest making the sacrifice. Verse 24, you'll hear this in a few of the gospels that, that Jesus is quoting the words of Psalm 22. Now you may not know that that's what, what's happening, but God is in the details. If you read all of Psalm 22, the, the gospel, the, um, the passion and death of Jesus follows the same trajectory as Psalm 22. And at the end of that Psalm is the promised victory that Jesus, the Messiah will come in glory. It's all right there and it's all in the details, but you have to come really close. You have to come close. And, and that means at times we have to come close in on our own lives. We have to be intentional, looking at the details of our own lives to see God's handiwork, to see his fingerprints. Your name is a fingerprint of God. It has something to tell you about who you are, about why God created you out of love, what, what his unique mission is for you the significant dates of your life, they're not random. There's no mistaking. It's all within God's providential plan for you. The liturgical calendar, my goodness, the liturgical calendar captures all of these beautiful and significant dates in our own lives and gives meaning and hope. We can look to those dates on our liturgical calendar to give us a glimpse of the heart and the purposes of God in our lives. Our daily lives contain the details of God's voice, his handiwork, his fingerprints, his call. All we have to do is come close. There's one figure who really uh, embodies this coming close. He, he doesn't pull away from the crucifixion. He leans into the crucifixion. And his name, traditionally, maybe a legend, is Saint Longinus. St. Longinus was the Roman soldier standing at the foot of the cross. Now we know, the legend has it, that St. Longinus had an injury from battle and that at this point he was nearly blind. And so he stood at the foot of the cross. You can imagine this trained Roman soldier now given uh, the duty to stand and watch these crucified criminals die on a cross. But there's not much to do, not much action. So he stood with his lance beneath the cross of Jesus Christ, but friend, God is in 
the details. You see, as St. Longinus pierced the side of Jesus and blood and water flowed out, he was covered with that precious blood by that life-saving, life-giving water and his blindness was cured. He was only healed, he was only delivered, he was only able to say, indeed, this man was the son of God. He only came to faith because he first came close, close enough to be covered in the Savior's blood. And I, I wanna invite you today to come that close to Jesus, to come and to stand beside St. Longinus to stand at the foot of the cross. Don't, don't shy away from the cross. It's the most intimate, the most beautiful, the most redeeming and healing place you can be. Come with St. Longinus, come with Our Lady who stood faithfully at the foot of her son's cross and stand with Jesus. I wanna invite you to pray in that way, even now, to come close to Jesus, to be cleansed by Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus and be made new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. We give you permission, Lord, to sanctify and to use our imagination as we enter into prayer, as we enter into this gospel. I invite you to imagine yourself at the foot of the cross. Imagine Saint Longinus, the Roman soldier, there beside you. Imagine Mary, our sorrowful and immaculate mother, standing on the other side of you. Imagine Mary Magdalene and John, the beloved disciple behind you, praying for you. They're all urging you silently to approach Jesus, our beloved Jesus, hanging on the cross for love of you. That's what the cross represents, the love of Jesus for you. Imagine that Mary takes your hand. And Saint Longinus, he moves a ladder before you, the same one that will be used to remove Jesus's lifeless body from the cross in just a few moments. But he's alive, he's breathing, he's longing for your love. 
with Mary's help, will you climb that ladder and come close to his merciful, beautiful face? you want to say to Jesus? him you love him and that you want to love him more tell him you're sorry for your sins and from the cross looking at you looking at you with love. What does Jesus say to you? Jesus, we trust in you. Holy Spirit, seal this prayer. Anoint it. Mother Mary, spread your mantle of love and protection over us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.